2: Kirsten, let's just start at the very beginning. Give me the origin story of Saving Grace.
0: Well, the origin story is something that might sound familiar to a lot of people. Uh, Post-2016, I started to be filled with, I guess you would call it rage, maybe, filled with contempt for people that I had never even met a lot of the time it dawned on me eventually that this was just unsustainable. And I basically just hit a wall where I realized that my, and it was, some of it was my behavior, but a lot of it was that internal dialogue, you know, where I was just thinking and ruminating and then coming home and having the same conversations and talking to my friends. And then I started to realize that my behavior and my thoughts weren't really aligned with what I said I believed (laughs) And you know, as a person who's pretty open about the fact that I'm a Christian, I felt like, well, I say I love my neighbors and I say I love, you know, I'm supposed to love my enemies and I'm so far away from loving anybody that I, I think I need to do a course correction.
2: We should note this is not a book just for Christians and, and part of the book is your own interrogation of your beliefs and questioning and going out and finding people. And I want to I want to get to sort of the list of questions or that, that discovery process, but you are a person of faith. And, you know, the central calling of our Christian faith, as I am also Christian, um, is that incredibly difficult call to love your neighbor. But you think, okay, I can do that. It's not just a side note. It's right down the middle of the faith. I it's mean, you can't of avoid it. It's fundamental, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were steeped in this already, Um, just to give listeners an an idea of where you're coming from. But then you also were right in the middle of political combat. I mean, because you were Mm -hmm. often arguing and and placed on television to argue with the other side. So you both came with the history, but you were also participating right in the center of the arena.
0: Yes, and I think that... I do think that, that what happened after 2016 was something different. It was taking it to a different level, where before I feel like... I was able to find some amount of grace or and when I say grace there 's a lot of different ways to define that, but you know some sort of distance between me and other people saying like you know what you 're allowed to not be me and not be demonized like it, like we, we can we can disagree on these things, and I can still see you the totality of you, the humanity in you you know if you 're a believer, you see the God in the person, and something happened to me, and I think to a lot of people post two thousand and sixteen where it's where the rubber met the road, right? It's where it's like, do I really believe this? Do I, do I really believe this? Because I think this is actually the situation that it was created for.
2: <laughs> and right, well, precisely. And, and going back, you already touched on the, uh, the definition of grace. Um, tricky thing to define. So define it for us. And is it one of those things that you define in the negative, which is to say it isn't X, Y, and Z? Or is it easier to define it as what it is? Or is it a combination of the two?
0: It is actually pretty easy to define, but there's a lot of confusion about it. And so I do spend a lot of time in my book saying it's actually not these things that we think that it is. I use the Christian paradigm to define it as unmerited favor. So in the Christian faith, we normally think of that as something we get from God, but we are supposed to extend that also to each other. And so because it's unmerited and unearned, that means that everybody gets it including people you don't like, even people you hate. Uh, Richard Rohr, who is, you know, somebody who I've leaned on a lot, who's a Franciscan priest that likes to say loving is not liking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and and it's but 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 it's loving in in you know in the Christian faith the when Jesus says love your enemies or love your neighbor he doesn't mean love like you love your best friend or you love chocolate it's in the Greek it's agape love and that's a love for humanity and, and that's what I'm talking about with grace being sort of unmerited favor for people because they have humanity and that they deserve to be treated with humanity even when they're making you really angry or doing really bad things. And sometimes I would have people say, "Well, I can have grace for people who basically think like me and are good people, but they screw up." And it's like, "But that's that's not really grace because now you're saying they've earned it." And so, right. and and so it really has to be the person hasn't earned it. Where there's confusion is people hear grace and they think, "Lay down your weapons, don't fight for what you believe." Uh, roll over, be a doormat. And that's not what it is. It's something that's actually quite robust and quite muscular. And it's something that I think you can and you should be speaking up for the things that you care about. But when you do it with grace, it just looks very different than it does when you're doing it without grace.
2: And, and we're going to keep working on this definition of grace and what it is and what it isn't as we as we go through our conversation but let me take us back to the narrative which is that you come out of 2016 you had one conception of grace you like all of us who are proud while also being christians you thought you were doing a pretty good job of it um and then reality created this tension where it wasn't Pick up the story from there and and what set of questions you started to interrogate as you found—and I'm taking this from the book, not your answer, so correct me if I'm wrong—but as you found kind of your traditional conception of grace not really— Fitting the bill in those moments.
0: Yeah. Well, and I should say when I look back in hindsight, I actually, I thought I was acting with grace, but I really wasn't because I also was associating it with behavior. So because I was calm and I wasn't calling anybody names and I was looking sort of placid in the face of people yelling at me, it seemed like I had grace. But the internal dialogue was... I hate this person. I want to claw their eyes out. You know, like, that's not really. And so grace is really about what's happening inside. It's not as much about you probably will behave a little better. But but even if you do behave well, that doesn't mean that you're acting with grace. And so for me, I started interrogating it because I just had to be honest with myself about how binary, I was seeing everything, which was, give me this one piece of information, and now I know everything about you, right, right? Right. And I was going on air with people who were saying things that were really driving me nuts. And I got to this place where I, I didn't even want to know anything about them. I didn't want to hear about their families. I didn't even want to say hello. <laughs> I just was filled with contempt. And... I'd love to say that I was motivated by some really high-minded, like, something, this is going to be great for the world or something, but I wasn't. I was motivated by by survival. I, I really was, like, I cannot go on like this. It so happens that I think this book, I discovered as I was writing it, that it actually really is good for other people, and it actually could be really good for our culture,
2: and Right. And, and um, in fact, some of the biggest problems we have, as some of the people you interviewed for your book argue, have to start in the heart and the home first, or else we're never going to fix the big exactly. issues. Because unless we debate them from a position of grace or near grace anyway, we're never going to hear each other and never come up with a common solution, uh, at least to move forward on some of these things we think are important.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: This episode of The Gap Fest is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you ready to win Mother's Day? Cement your reputation as the best gift giver in your family. Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. That mom will love looking back on childhood memories, seeing you what you're up to today, checking out grandkids, checking out cousins. And even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep on updating your mom's frame with new photos so that it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is how I live in my family. I gave my mother an aura frame. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. She absolutely adores it. She's constantly hectoring me to update it with more photos, which I do. I also gave my girlfriend's mother an aura frame. And I hope she hectors my girlfriend to update it with more photos. But it is a present that will bring absolute delight to a mother in your life. And they have a great deal for Mother's Day. GabFest listeners can save on this perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code GABFest at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs>
2: giving people the benefit of the doubt because you recognize their larger humanity than some specific position they may hold. Another uh, quote of C.S. Lewis's that came to mind is where he says, you know, in our own case, we accept excuses too easily, but in other people's, we don't accept them easily enough. And so that... That feels like it's good and fitting and you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. Let's think a little bit more about the harder cases, though, because one of the things that seems to happen, you go through a list of, you, you talk about getting rid of binary thinking. In other words, it's not just black or white. Understand the gradations of things. You also talk about revenge being off, an awful part of this gracelessness. But when I started to go through all the things that that you write about in your book, humility, you talk about with that great quote from from Thomas Merton, that humility makes us real. I mean, Donald Trump does the opposite of all of those things. And it's not just that he is graceless in his behavior, but he is applauded for it by a huge portion of the not a not the majority, but a big portion of the culture. So what I'm setting up with this extremely long question is what happens when there is a systemic effort to applaud and rally around gracelessness? What's the grace response to that?
0: The place that I go, you know, another way to think about grace is people are doing the best they can with what they have. And so Mm -hmm. it's recognizing that, you know, you know, even with Donald Trump, as crazy as it sounds, that's the best he can do with what he has. It's not very good, right? But that—that that it is what it is. Um, he is the hardest case of of them all, I would think, in our current culture. Most of us aren't dealing with Donald Trump on a day to day basis, but we are dealing with the people that you're talking about—the people who are applauding this behavior. And so, I think in that in that situation, you do see the person as the whole person. The person. They may be doing that, but they also are a lot of other things. They're not just that thing. And they are doing the best they can with the information they have, which frankly, they don't have very good information and they're not getting good information from a lot of people. And so I'm not against anybody feeling their feelings. Feel angry, feel frustrated. Feel all those things. Um, but but when you go down the road of judging and demonizing, you're, you're not only creating disconnection and, and, and division, but you're also hurting yourself. And a lot about this book is about how grace can help you survive during this time where you don't take on that person's behavior. You recognize it, you're discerning, you see it, and then you figure out in this situation – can I change their mind? Can I help them see it differently? And I have a section on embracing healthy conflict, and there are ways to do it. But maybe I can't. And at that point, I'm going to use some boundaries. And I say, figure out what you're a no to, and then figure out what you're a yes to. And so if you're a no to that kind of behavior, let's take an example, somebody is demonizing undocumented immigrants. And you you either try to convince them and you don't get anywhere. And what do you do? Well, there's a lot of things you could do, actually, to help undocumented immigrants, right? So that don't involve screaming at your mother or, you know, posting something horrible on Facebook. So we actually have more agency than we sometimes think. If you want to post something on Facebook, post something about here's an organization that's really helping undocumented immigrants. Uh, Volunteer. If you're me, I could write a column. There's a lot of different things that we could be doing that actually might make a difference and I feel like grace kind of gives us that space where I felt before if I wasn't judging and shaming and labeling that I wasn't doing that I didn't care that I wasn't doing enough.
2: Yeah, I think this is really important for people to catch is that idea which is that pivoting to a new a new approach can be almost certainly more productive than the doom loop uh, fight that you're having in whatever whatever realm you are.
0: Yeah, I, I had a very hard time learning not judgment It was very difficult for me. And I worked with my therapist on it, actually. And I would come in, and I'd saying all these things. I'd be so angry. And then she'd say, oh, it sounds a little judgmental. And i say, but it's true. You know, she's like, but try saying it without the judgment. And so I would try again. And then she'd be like, nope, still judgmental. And so we'd have to keep kind of, you know, unlearning that and... And one of the things I realized was most of the time when we're judging people, they don't even know you're judging them. You're usually doing it in your head or maybe you're talking to your friend about it. So so who's suffering? Right? It's like you are. Like it's like what they say about, you know, forgive unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And so I think that it's better for us and then I also think when it comes to relationships for people who have family members, for example, who are believing things that that they think are very dangerous and harmful. You know, how you can use that to create some sort of space, you know, to be able to see them in their fullness but also recognize where your boundaries are. Recognize you're allowed to say, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to talk about this. I'm going, you know, I I don't have to engage in this. I don't have to engage in this kind of toxic relationship.
2: Right. I we'll see if I can make this connection. But when I was reading your book, I was remembering the line that, you know, the Constitution is not a suicide pact, which is a version of this, which is, in other words, you don't have to believe in the Constitution, so much so that it causes a greater danger, uh, or in fact, an existential danger. And so it feels like grace is the same thing. You believe it up to a point. It doesn't mean you have to go, you know, forgiving mass murderers. You can recognize them as God's children, should you wish, but it doesn't mean you have to say they walk the streets free. I mean, that this is... um,
0: Right, no, and that's the confusion, is that people often think, for different reasons, think this, but they think grace means no accountability. So, you know, I've already, since this book, you know, I'm already hearing from conservatives every time I say anything critical, oh, well, how about grace? And it's like, there's nothing about what I just said that lacks grace. Like, I'm I'm just saying something factual that is a problem. And But we have kind of this idea that, oh, that just means that you just let people do whatever they want. I think when we think of the things that are happening in our culture, what some people call cancel culture, a lot of times people will say oh just show grace just the person did or said something they shouldn't have done just show them grace and it's like well look you can show somebody grace and still hold them accountable like you just right. said i mean if someone commits a crime they should be held accountable but they should be held accountable with humanity right. and if you look at our criminal justice system like that's not what we do we don't hold right. people accountable with humanity it, the punishment doesn't fit the crime and so i think when we think about it in other circumstances, it's like, no, sometimes people are going to have to be punished, and it's going to be very uncomfortable. And, but grace-infused accountability is very different than what we often see. Right.
2: Two questions be- before we run out of time. One is, from the left, um, they see an argument for grace, or I'm, I'm going to make an amalgam here, but arguing essentially um, that grace is for saps, Like, it's okay, Yeah. Be nice to your neighbor. But look, the other side is, um, you know, they're fighting. They're applauding somebody who has made an expertise of the public display of lack of grace and won the presidency and about to take back the House and the Senate. So your grace is nice and all that. But in the arena with the rules as they are right now, grace will make you lose. So what's your response to that?
0: I think it's a pretty flawed argument, though it's one that I would have made at a certain point, probably. But I think that we have certainly have had plenty of examples of people who've won the presidency with grace. Joe Biden would be a good example of that. Uh, I think Barack Obama would be a good example of that. Look, Republicans win elections sometimes. You know, that doesn't mean like it's because he lacks grace or because other people are showing grace. So, It's also just a misunderstanding that I used to have as well, you know, of what grace means because you can still continue to say the things that need to be said, hold the people accountable who need to be held accountable, ring the alarm bells about what's happening in this country and what's happening to democracy and voting rights and all of these other things without demonizing and dehumanizing people. And, you know, the people that I look to the most in terms of grace in leadership and, you know, who were successful, obviously, were the civil rights icons, you know, whether it's MLK or John Lewis. I interviewed Ruby Sales for the book, who who explained, look, you know, it's hate is too great a burden to bear, right? We're the ones who bear it, not the other people. It's not hurting other people. It's hurting us. And so... The idea that they could go through what they went through and maintain their humanity and, and not be bitter, and that John Lewis up to his dying day was exuding joy, exuding grace, it shows how wrongheaded the idea that grace is weak is.
2: There's no better example. Last question is... Give. Uh, we've already talked about some of the elements of grace, but for for someone who's listening who wants uh, you know a starter kit, a grace starter kit, um, how how should they or what are a couple of things that they can start to work with and hang on to have a grace infused response rather than than one that uh, might be less so.
0: But the first thing that I did that made a huge difference was I got off of social media and I. Uh, really dialed back my news consumption, which was well beyond what I needed to do even for my job. Saw huge improvements in terms of my capacity for Grace. And then I sort of titrated it back in. And I, and this is what I tell people in the book. You titrate it back in and you start noticing at what point am I getting activated? You should be being informed or entertained. It's okay to be entertained on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever. But if you're walking away thinking how evil and awful everybody else is, that, that you need to pay attention to that. So we have to be realistic about what we're letting into our bodies, how it's activating us, how our brains are being activated, our central nervous system is being activated. In my book, really—it's a, there's a lot of really practical things that people can do just to get to the, into the place to be able to offer grace.
2: That's fantastic. Everybody, pick up a copy. If you have Thanksgiving gatherings <laughs> exactly. where there's a little bit of friction, Saving Grace will will help you, and uh, and and not just at Thanksgiving, but all year round. Um, Kirsten Powers, thanks so much for talking, and congratulations on the book.
0: Thank you.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty.